0: Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch, the show in which we are in rooms and we have Scotch. I'm, my, I'm the titular Michael, and over there in a room is the titular Ethan.
1: I don't like that you've said the word titular twice. This is a family show.
0: <laughs> it is. It is a
1: family show with lots of family
0: drama and family trauma. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Especially tonight. I can't even argue with you especially tonight and i'm gonna blame you for that just right off the bat i mean um it's all your fault again fair it is it is um but before we get to that let's get to the coping mechanism first (laughs)
1: uh and this is (laughs) really just leaning into it (laughs) (laughs) so uh to accompany lean into the darkness lean into the darkness
0: yes yes all the way in all the way um as far from the light as i can possibly get um so yes tonight we are going to be drinking shield egg single malt scotch whiskey it's a space side aged 12 years Uh, yeah that's 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 the that's the thing that's what we got um So before we drink it, though, because uh, we have to have rules to accompany um, all of our family meetings, um, oh boy. and they're heavy punishments if we don't follow the rules, oh Boy, uh, <laughs> Ethan, would you get your wife in here to read the
1: rules? After everything you've said so far, I really don't want to, but I'm going to anyway.
2: Rule one, once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule 2. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4: Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5: If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6: The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7: If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses then everyone loses
1: and what happens if someone breaks the rules
2: if one person breaks a rule they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule all that being said everyone drink responsibly
1: yeah ethan yeah michael gentle 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 listener.
2: listener
1: thanks wife (laughs) Michael is not winning the podcast, but not losing. It's true. Well, look, I am blank.
0: so far no losses no
1: losses i mean that's not true like just with the podcast historically well you mean with this this arc arc of the podcast right yeah that's true right like it's just yeah just currently just in the present yeah we've had two out of four no losses and we're working on three yes Yes, perfect record.
0: We we can, we can do it. We can make a perfect I mean, record. We can we? Literally and can't. I feel like that's a metaphor for something, but, uh, <laughs> it's got, Yeah, it's got. It's in got any to case, be. it's got to be. Uh, we are discussing a book here, Ethan. That uh, again, uh, I'm going to blame you for, uh, and it's because it's it's literally your pick. You picked nice. this book and, and brought it yep, to the podcast. That's true. So. We are discussing the book "Where the Light Fell" by Philip Yancey, Uh, and you also get the credit for bringing the first memoir uh, onto the podcast.
1: I do that. I yeah. As
0: as as this is, Um, it is not Philip Yancey's first book, uh, nor is it his first memoir. I think. Um, um,
1: yeah.
0: I was trying to. I, I'm unfamiliar with anything else he's he's written, um, but this I think he said in his author's note at the end. Um, he considered like his most complete, uh, um, or thorough, or something like that. Um, I was trying. I was just trying to find the the quotation where he talks about that. Um, it's it's
1: immaterial, I suppose. Um, I don't know if it's from the text of this book or not, but I had the impression that this was his first memoir. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, um, specifically, because like it, it's it's it probably is like a very boring debate we could have because I am familiar <laughs> sure. with some of his other books, and um, they are all very. Uh, in a very subjective voice in the sense that you know his books are not necessarily sort of doing like systematic theology or a sort of logic-based rhetoric they're all very personal and are relating on the level Mm. that sort of a personal account can relate on um but i think most of the ones at least that i'm familiar with are more they're sort of topical so it's like If you're talking about prayer, you know, he might be bringing in, in sort of like a personal essay style, like bringing in, you know, other people talking about prayer and using accounts of his own life um, to illustrate it. But, like, I want to say this is the first time he's done what is sort of generally considered to be, like, what memoir is in in as straightforward a way so like you know uh depending on your definition of memoir which is kind of a very fraught thing um at least in some circles like Mm -hmm. you could say this is his first memoir or you could say it's not put it that way okay
0: Uh, that's and that's fair i and i understand what you mean um and any of our our listeners who have read the book i think also would understand uh what you mean so there's 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 my brief plug to to read the book if you haven't yet because we're about yes. to spoil it um, um
1: i just as as my last thought on that as i like i was kind of looking through like his his bibliography that's listed in the back and and trying to get a better idea mm. and then i close the book and on the front page it says where the light fell a memoir and i think that this is his only book so far that would have, like, colon, a memoir appended to the title. Oh, that claims yeah. itself in, in, yeah.
0: in that regard. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and this, this is, as a memoir, it also... Um, traces and like you say with some of his other other books that he he's meditating on or writing treatises on different like theological subjects and yeah. concepts um which are especially like very personal um uh at least uh, fall into a sphere where he's personally wrestling with these or or um it's not just um this high and lofty thought Right. Experiment, sort of thesisizing. Right. It's very practical, yeah. I might say. Uh, which is. Not, I could see a, a memoir that structures itself sort of along those lines, just following these different concepts. But he doesn't really do that with with this. the the spirituality and and religion aspect of it is certainly a through line, and I would even go so far as to say ultimately the point. Um, but. I, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about how he wrestles with theological concepts in this book in, um,
1: in general? I think that, I mean, this gets to, like, the patented Michael and Ethan non-segment talking about genre. Um, because I think that <laughs> he... Sure. Uh, again, I was trying to find it just now, and I don't know if it's in here or in some extraneous materials that I uh, uh, read encountered in connection with this book but um at some point i think he said in like preparing to write this book he read like 150 memoirs or something just you know a greater number of memoirs than i read of books period in a year um and frankly one (laughs) of the few things i can brag about without like pretending to humility is that i read a lot of books in a year um
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so yeah uh i i think he was very much drilling down into what at least he thought the memoir as a form was um which i think is excuse me most helpful when you compare it against its very close cousin the autobiography um because an autobiography Mm -hmm. is just a form of biography written in the first person meaning it's stated goal, at least, is to start at the beginning and, um, you know, tell an account of a life up through the moment of it being penned, presumably. Um, now, Great. to problematize the idea that that could ever truly be a thing, um, see, Go read yeah, Shandy. see a couple a couple Mondo books back when we did Tristram Shandy. Um, <gasps> but yeah, that's the, the pretense of an autobiography uh right the pretense of a memoir is different in that it's often you'll see a memoir of something and even books that are not don't have that titling are that um so usually a memoir Mm -hmm. is a personal story that claims to be as true as a subjective you know perspective can make it um Mm -hmm. but of something specific, like whether it's, you know, I've seen memoirs that are like the story of a specific road trip. Um, I've seen memoirs that are the story of like a person being in a faith and then leaving it. I've seen memoirs of um, a person not being in a faith and then coming into it. You know, um, those are just examples that come to mind for Mm. obvious reasons based on this book. Um, and, of course, like, people our age uh, or older are fairly likely to remember um, sort of a not very good but very widespread national conversation we had about this um, to some extent uh, around a memoir called A Million Little Pieces, um, which mm-hmm. this was probably 15 or 20 years ago as we record this, but... Um, it was featured on Oprah's book club. It was, uh, uh meant to be the sto- the memoir of uh, the the author's like, I want to say, drug addiction, and then putting himself back together, kind of after the drug addiction, um, and it featured this this story that after it had been featured on Oprah and and gotten a lot of publicity, um it came out that, like, other accounts of the story of this memoir uh, seem, to, seem to either contradict um, the story told in the book or indicate that it was, like, greatly exaggerated. Right. Um, and, the I mean, the story of that is that Oprah got very mad and had the author come on her show and kind of grilled him with all of these contrary details. And... Part of what emerged from that, though maybe only like mm-hmm. as a shark's fin above a water is to the actual shark, was the idea of like what a memoir is and how subjective is it versus, you know, how much, how much can like, how malleable is human memory and, and how much uh, leeway does someone get when they're claiming to tell a true story? Um, what is fictionalizing versus like, just remembering things a certain way in, like, a good-faith way, um, etc. cetera. Uh, so, with all of that in mind, the other, like, counterexample that I want to mention is G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. Michael, have you read that book by any chance? No, I haven't. So, Chesterton's Orthodoxy is a very, is, um, I think Chesterton... Subtitled it a spiritual. He may have subbed it a spiritual autobiography, um and this was written more than a hundred years ago. And I don't know if the word memoir was like used in the way that it is now. Um, so you mm-hmm. know there may be some lexical difference and shift there. But Chesterton in the book Orthodoxy essentially gave gives an account of how his coming to the christian faith uh like answered a lot of questions or just resonated in a lot of ways with things that he kind of already thought even as a person Mm. not of faith um and as such it's very rhetorical in the sense that like he kind of will lay out chesterton will lay out like almost an apologetic sounding uh, in the sense of Christian apologetics, like a, a argument for something the Bible says without using the Bible as a source, and then bring that into sort of the the history of the Christian faith and so forth. Um, I think that what Philip Yancey is doing in this book is something very different from uh, either A Million Little Pieces, which may be sort of a red herring of an example, Um, or Mm -hmm. orthodoxy in the sense that I don't think he is um, trying to fictionalize a story, and I also don't think he is trying to grapple rhetorically with the faith that he portrays. I think he's trying to portray his own story of coming to faith or coming back to faith. Um, Mm -hmm. But as as a story constructed out of the elements of his personal life. Sure. Um,
0: and it's, it's interesting to, um, you know, thinking about what the differences are between autobiography and memoir, because structurally this seems to fit almost closer to autobiography. Um, yeah. Because it is, more or less linear from, uh, I mean, after the first chapter or so from his birth or before his birth even, uh, until ultimately present day. Yeah.
1: Um, um go ahead. I, I didn't mean Which
0: that. it, that, the, the, the structure there serves a purpose, um, though, which, which leans then more towards memoir. I, I think that's, that's something we can say where an autobiography doesn't necessarily have an aim or, or, a a, a message, so to speak. Right. Um, if, if that, and that might even be saying too much there, but, uh, a memoir is usually like you say, a memoir of something it's, right. it, there's something more contained, um, within it. And so, calling it a memoir especially having that on the title page and understanding this to be a memoir and then um starting out this whole thing with the this uh this family secret that he learns about um in 1968 uh that it's something that rocks his world that now he finds out this this lie about his his whole family um and everything that his his father died for this this belief um and then it's it's unsatisfying. He's been misled. This this truth is out. Now what's what's interesting about that is, um, by then jumping back from 1968 all the way back to when he was um, born. Um, I don't remember what what year he was born. Um, but uh, anyway, the the newspaper is from 1950, so right. I think it it must be um, a few years before that because he was two. I think, when his father died.
1: Yeah, um,
0: sounds right. So 48, probably. Sounds right, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically jumping back 20 years um, before this, uh, and then just the pacing of it, too, yeah. as it goes through his, his early childhood, um, his youth, his his high school years, uh, and then getting into college years, and, and just, like, how... Sort of slowly it goes through all of that. Really, in the back of my mind as a reader, I'm waiting for it to catch up with itself. Mm. Right? Which it doesn't. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's a <laughs> it, yeah. a really good point that jumped out at me also. Um, but I think that you and I may both, and I think I certainly um, may have been still reading it in terms of people who are much more used to reading novels, um, sure. I mean, I th- I think that the vast majority of my reading, uh, well, maybe not the va- the statistical majority of my reading is either novels or hist- like straight up history. Um, and sure. history, obviously, as a nonfiction genre, very different. Um, and novel, a novel would catch up with itself, as you say, right? Like it would that's Mm -hmm. the whole point you wouldn't you wouldn't load that gun in the first section of a novel without firing it in the last section and i think that if anything Mm -hmm. left me uh i would be tempted to say unsatisfied um you know by the story it is the fact that like that kind of never comes back around um that that beginning section and even even some of those early images which are very striking of his mother you know throwing herself on on his father's grave and stuff um some of that does come back around but not in like a chronological way or where or where you loop back to to that time right um and i but i think you know kind of processing this book right after i read it i think my first instinct was to say, well, that's kind of disappointing, or he kinda of lost the thread. But then my second instinct was like, oh no, because this is real life. And like, real life doesn't work right. that way. Mm-hmm. Um and before you before we uh get so far off that I lose this thought, you you actually really pointed out an interesting thing about the structure, I think. Um specifically mm-hmm. when uh uh, comparing this to other memoirs that I've read, um, yeah, I actually read, um, just recent, literally, like, a few days before we were recording this, I read a book called We Are Too Many by Hannah Pittard, I believe, um, I'll correct that in the show notes if I got it wrong. Title taken from Jude the Obscure? Uh, no, but, I mean... She has an epigraph to the novel, or to the, it's a memoir, she has an epigraph where the title comes from that is not Jude the Obscure, but like, from the themes of the book, it almost could have been. Um, (laughs) uh, So We Are Too Many very different from this memoir. It's a a memoir by a woman who um, basically finds out that her husband has been cheating on her with her best friend um Mm. and you know it's it it was it's like not the normal thing that would hook me but i saw it in the bookstore and it was one of those things where it was like i looked at it and then i put it down and then i kept coming back to it and it's like i can only do that so many Mm. times before i'm like i guess i have to buy this um right the the only point i'm making about it here is that to tell that story which again it's a memoir of this thing and you know, a lot of stuff folds into it. Right. Uh, processing betrayal, recovery from betrayal, um, you know, drug-related mm-hmm. re- stuff, and other, like, um, mental health stuff that stems from that. Um, but structurally, that one hops back and forth. So it starts with the day that the author finds out about this from, like, a mutual friend, and then hops immediately backwards in time, and then goes forward, and... Um, And then backward, and you know, this book was just an example of like, um, a a lot of. I haven't read a ton of memoirs, I've read uh, some over the years, and a lot of them seem to do that kind of structurally where it's like you start Mm -hmm. at a certain point and then you maybe go forward a little bit and then you circle back and go way back before the initial point. You know, it's a little bit Doctor Who fixed point in time stuff where it's like, right, um, this event happened in 2009, this one happened in 2015, and then it's like everything else happens before, after, or in between, and then you sort of uh, mm-hmm. uh, orient yourself based on that, that kind of thing. Um, and your just your toss-off remark uh, about structure in this book made me think that maybe a lot of people do that specifically to differentiate it from autobiography, um, sure. to sort of even structurally point out that like, this is a story and while it's, you know, as, as real as, mm-hmm. as most sort of good faith authors can make it, it is a story, which is different from just, you know, an account of a life. Um, sure. And I think that, I think that Yancey's book here probably takes a risk maybe even in not doing that because, the difference between it and an autobiography is almost much thinner or much uh, less obvious, I guess, than um, yeah. uh, it would s- seem if he had structured it a different way. Because it is a memoir that takes place over the course of a life. Um, and the difference right. is subtle between that and a book that's an account of a life. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly where, but I think there are portions where it's like he'll reference something. Even in some of the later portions, you know, he'll say, he'll talk about like, well, this was happening while my first book came out or my book this and that came out. Um, I think his first maybe, uh, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect his first major sort of big deal book was, um, was it Soul Survivor maybe? That That might
0: be Soul Survivor.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, there are a couple books that he references late in this book that were big deals when they came out. They were, you know, he had written a few and, and probably had some groundswell, but, like, I think Soul Survivor and I think one or two of these others were, like, sellers in sort of the evangelical Christian world, at least, and, you know, were, were really big deals, and, and he would have been sort of on a national stage. I mean, he gives an account of being written up in a, you know, an Atlanta, um, paper, um mm. but it's like those what would be you know if you or i got a best selling book published like that would be all we would be talking about on this podcast let alone you know um in the rest of our lives but it's like those moments kind of get glanced over because that's not what this story is if he were telling the story of getting his first book published or getting a you know a bestseller published or whatever like you know, he'd spend a lot more ink on those moments. So I think that's just an example of like sure. you know, he's he is, even though it seems might seem autobiographical, Yancey is picking out the specific details and the specific memories that relate to sort of a a through line of plot, as it were.
0: Mm hmm. Well, and here was my thought about that too, the that it seems more like the structure of an autobiography mm. um, that with, with that idea too that a memoir might have more of a point mm. to it or a message to it. Um, and that's deliberately then structured by the author who manipulates um, what, which doesn't necessarily mean fictionalizes, but manipulates the, the story and manipulates the history and the, the life into fitting the message right. uh, so that it's presented in that way, where by taking this, Almost directly chronological approach. What I think Yancey winds up accomplishing through that structure is saying it's not my point, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> right? Uh, He's he he has a theological point with this that it's it's God's story, um, and uh, you know when we start out the this thing with the um, the the secret in in chapter one, um, that uh, he starts out in a place of no trust. Mm. Uh, that he's felt betrayed. Um, but then when you get to the end, the very last page, page 300, uh, before the author's note, um, he ha- he describes, uh, this experience of serenity and trust, um, and then the the last sentence and last paragraph he says above all else grace is a gift one i cannot stop writing about until my story ends yeah and so like that gets the idea which is like it's almost directly tied to that autobiographical structure that it's the whole history from birth to the present and now there's more to come that hasn't been been done yet and he's ultimately saying there it's not the story that I've written or I've created for this i'm I'm receiving all of this and just transposing it so I think I think by structuring it this way um, by following the structure that God has given him for his life basically right. he's uh, he's got that theological point um, that he's bringing out through yeah.
1: it um and like uh, you yeah you make a really good point about Uh, because we dance around a lot of terms when we're trying to talk about um, a memoir that we believe is written in good faith. And by good faith, I mean, I Mm -hmm. don't think that um, Yancey has intentionally fictionalized anything or that he's um, uh, manipulated anything in a dishonest way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it gets to sort of a very basic uh premise of writing and especially of writing your own story which is that like writing is always an act of selecting details um or storytelling is yes. you know, if i'm telling you a story about just like something that happened when i went to the grocery store today right like uh i could tell you so i i went to my garage i got in my car i started my car I drove on this road and this road and this road I got I parked in the grocery store parking lot or I could just start by telling you so I went to the grocery store and unless all of those other details are somehow foreshadowing for what happens later in the story you don't need them and I'm not being manipulative by just leaving Mm -hmm. them out I'm just telling the story in like the least boring and most economical way um so when mm-hmm. you, you know, you stumbled over the word manipulate uh, a few minutes ago and and you just w- say words like that or you know, I have used the word plot. We're not necessarily saying like that this is manipulative in a negative way. We're just saying like this is how a story is told and this is really it's like it gets down to like how human memory works. Like Yancy no doubt got some details mm-hmm. wrong. He he fully admits that he fictionalizes certain sure. dialogue um and the way human memory works is yeah. like other people might also in good faith have different versions of his story um, or of, of events in his story mm-hmm. from their perspectives. Um, and just what we know about like comparing eyewitness events where we know what happened, like details will differ. Human memory just kind of works that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's uh, you. But your your point just now, I think did a really good job of showing how Yancey uses like what could be considered a novelistic technique of, of like a character arc or a, a mm. story arc, um, in what, if you believe in his integrity, which I just do, and that's like something I can't prove, it's just something you have to kind of decide, I think, um, but, you know, he, he's not necessarily being dishonest here um and my Mm -hmm. uh my best example just from uh our discussion so far um of that it has to do with like the disappointment i kind of initially felt in like uh certain parts of the story not having like a direct resolution or or resolution the way novel would um specifically like that whole image and again in that first part, it appeals to my novelist's sensibility or my, my fiction reader's sensibility. Mm-hmm. Is that, that just image of of again the mother throwing herself on the the grave and and making this vow. And you know right. in fiction, either you would circle back to that scene and somehow add in some information, or circle back to a slightly later scene and and somehow that would climax, or there would be a scene much later in the mother's life when she uh, renounced it or, you know, some other, like, to balance the weight of that set of of intense imagery from the beginning, there would somehow have to be a similar set right. of intense imagery towards the end. Or at least that's, like, the classical um, uh, symmetrical mm-hmm. structure of a novel. That um, certainly not all novels follow, once again, uh, uh, C.F., uh, Tristram Shandy but um, that does come <laughs> Yancey does give it like a like an ending or a, a closed parenthesis or whatever um, on 297 again uh, the section aftermath uh, the, the last section of the book um, when he uh, sort of cross references his mother's vow with uh Uh, Hannah's um, offering of Samuel Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament um, or Abraham's offering of Isaac um, uh, but specifically Hannah relinquishing Samuel to to Eli um, but actually reading it sort of more closely and with a better understanding of theology and and the biblical lens there um, he notices that uh, or maybe just being better at reading. Uh, but he notices that... uh yeah, right. Neither Eli nor... And I'm quoting here. Neither Eli nor Samuel's mother commissions the boy. God issues the call. And he says, All our lives, Marshall and I, have lived mm-hmm. under the weight of a mother's vow, one that was beyond her prerogative to make. Or to invoke, rather. Um, which right. is just like, in its own way, in its own genre, it's stunning (laughs) like i think i had to when i first read that Uh paragraph and i've read sections of this book multiple times i haven't read the whole thing twice yet but um Mm -hmm. uh, the both i I think all the times that i read and reread this section i just had to stop and take a breath after that because um it has yeah all of the weight of like what a scene would have in a in a uh, novel or even a, a play or a screenplay um just in a few short paragraphs um uh-huh. and again it's a really good example structurally you know he like s- this book has been about this vow we spent large sections of it not talking directly yes. about that and talking about the effects of it or about you know um what might seem like tertiary things but like in in again screenplay terms and fiction terms, like that's the inciting incident. Um, but it right. it I think the the storytelling here parallels life in the way that like life doesn't have these neat bows usually. Maybe occasionally they do, and and that's what fiction tries to imitate or mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, you know, usually it just kind of goes like again. I think the the least satisfied i was with this uh uh this book was a. Uh, I want to say it's a few pages earlier um i can't find it right now but like his mom turns 90 and something about just like she turns 90 she's still like yeah and i know that you know they have some resolution or some uh uh change to some extent not not again the way you'd want in like a happy ending work of Mm -hmm. fiction but it's just like i don't know something about that it's it's like she's outlived where she should be offstage in the story but like that's again how life works like people you know don't live and die the way that our mortal sense of justice seems and and our mortal sense of uh story seems like it they should quote unquote right yeah well and that's like
0: in the the relationship that she has with uh his brother marshall which that that whole dynamic might be for for the next episode itself um but the speaking of of the mother there and this the 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 arc that she has or doesn't have or is attendant to as as a an antagonist sort of for him throughout his his life um When when you think about the the way a memoir or any writing, as you say, is selective, um, the the first narrative we get within this narrative is the one that his mother told and she did select and selected out the detail that they refused this good care um, to... Um, pray for a faith healing for his father um, and so like he had to learn learn that detail and so that does like, like by I, I think that's that inciting incident then becomes what um, was her manipulation of putting that vow front and center right um, that she took the this this truth detail out and crafted the story in such a way that this vow is what Hung over him, and so he had to go through all of this again with that that vow hanging over, and see where does this actually apply, and why did it affect me in this way? Um, and examining that, and just seeing what effect that whole vow as you know, it's like tectonic plates. I think that like having this truth come out really shifts everything, so that the vow is suddenly like moving off um from from that center because that's what he ultimately comes to this ultimate
1: conclusion is that it is beyond I, her prerogative I think to there invoke are several um, points like that in the story um mm-hmm. i think that uh it, what you just said kind of triggered the thought in me that like this could be if you were doing our our uh long-running bit of assigning master's theses about this book um which I think this book has every bit mm-hmm. of the the richness and the um, depth to uh, uh, support some mm-hmm. analysis on that level, if if someone wanted to go there. Um, but from what you just said, I would I would one master's thesis I would assign potentially would be uh, sort of the multiplicity of narratives and the idea of narratives in this book because. Um, Mm. you, you Mm -hmm. pulled a great and central example, but like, that is not the only example of narratives in this book being used and manipulated and (laughs) shifted and, um, discarded. Um, you know, the, the one that comes to mind immediately, Mm -hmm. uh, is the racial narrative, right? Like, uh, this is another through line in this book that, that Yancey's church, uh, churches, Mm -hmm. I guess, um, in somewhat disparate ways, but, but with sort of a central core teach very harmful, very racist and blatantly, I would say unbiblical, um, Mm -hmm. as well as untrue narratives about race, (laughs) um, narratives that when you think of someone who is alive today, as Yancey is learning, things almost this cartoonishly um racist uh it it's hard to believe unless you've actually read the history and read the many many accounts from this period that say yeah this is not you know someone making something up like this. this is absolutely uh real um and again like that's another through line that's that his he's taught a certain narrative about race it's it's manipulative it's driven arguably much more by by culture politics bigotry and ignorance than by any kind of real engagement with Mm -hmm. theology um it's and then it shifts you know it starts to shift when as a lot of um cultic ignorant or bigoted narratives do it starts to shift based on personal encounter um uh, Yancey encounters black mm-hmm. people who are both intelligent and kind to things that he has been narratively driven to believe right. he shouldn't be able to encounter. And then he has to um, uh, deal with the cognitive dissonance and it's, it becomes like a, who are you going to believe me or your yes. own eyes kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's going to lead to this this question that I want to ask you, uh, Ethan, um, and I think we've got time still this episode um, to for me to, to ask, um, where the light fell, Ethan? Where the where light the fell? Where the light fell, but with a question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a um, question mark. Where the light fell? <laughs> sure.
1: Um, I mean, again, you know, I don't know, I... Feel like i'm doing my thing where i that i've done on some of our previous books where i just like happen to open to a section for one reason and then just my finger happens to be in that section and so i've i'm staying in it um uh but i just as you were asking that question in glancing through i just happened to open to 298 shortly after the last um quote i did uh but to a section that i mean he's he's summarizing here you know this is a couple pages from the end so uh maybe it's not that remarkable that uh this happens to be a section that kind of encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about um but uh after the first section break on 298 he says we live day by day scene by scene as if working on a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle with no picture on the box to guide us Only over time does a meaningful pattern emerge. Mm -hmm. In this memoir, I have written a sort of prequel to my other books. Uh, In retrospect, it seems clear to me that my two life themes, which surface in all my books, are suffering and grace. Um, Now, for one thing, I want to point out that that's kind of a... He's using this jigsaw puzzle metaphor, but it's a metaphor that could be about what we've just been talking about, about narratives and the the multiplicity of narratives. Um, Yeah. But... Secondly, it just, it reminds me of a thing that I've encountered more than once, so I can't necessarily put, like, a single source or quote to it, but um, there's this pattern I've I've encountered where often people who are creative in sort of the broadest sense of the term of having a body of work um, don't realize that they're writing about mm. the same thing until afterward um mm-hmm. the the example i right. always use when i talk about this is an interview who i encountered years and years ago with the coen brothers um who made you know oh brother where art thou no country mm. for old men uh uh etc you know a lot of really great movies from the uh late 20th and early 21st century um and i don't even remember what the theme was that the interviewer asked them about but it was something where and it was the interviewer said well uh, how so? You have a common theme of blah 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 in your works, and the the two Cohen brothers were like, "Wait, what?" And the interviewer rattled <laughs> off like five or six movies where it was like, "Well, yeah, this character in this movie, and this one in this movie, and this one in this other," and they kind of were just like, "Oh, yeah, I guess." Um, and you know, this just <laughs> reminds me of of that that like I think Yancey at some point in this book says. I, in many ways, this is the book I've been trying to write all along or that I've spent an entire lifetime sort of working into. Right. to. Um, and so it's often, if they realize it at all, that writers and other other artists, um, it's often late in their career that they figure it out. Um, and then he goes on to uh, uh, sort of... a. Um, Expand upon that idea—the idea of suffering and grace. Um, mm-hmm. Uh So is, is your is your answer here that this I mean, book I is where the light fell? That's probably that's not what I was necessarily thinking, but I like it, so I am going to take credit for it. Um, yeah. It. I don't remember. Take it. Yes. Uh, if, if there is if there is. Because, like, what I expected when I went into this book just knowing the title is that um, there's this, like, mm-hmm. there's this, like, old adage. It's, like, something your mom says to you after your first breakup as a teenager about, like, your heart has to be broken because that's how the light gets in or something. Um, and there is, you know, right. buried within that that set of cliches, there's, you know, something of a, an argument Against or about the problem of pain and the idea that, that you know, um, pain mm. can be redemptive or can, pain can be the, the path to, to redemption, depending on your idea or your definition of that. And that itself, of course, has a long history of um, uh, problematic, bigoted, and otherwise just deeply hurtful interpretations and manipulations. Um, so I was expecting that... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to kind of be something that came up. I didn't notice it if it, if it did. Um. It, so <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think it's meant to be an open question. Other than the idea that, like, yeah, the I mean, right. I guess maybe I'm. You've now like prejudiced me into it, but I'm talking myself into the idea that yeah, this whole thing is kind of where the light fell. Um. I was trying to find the section. Mm-hmm. It's a little ways back. Um, uh, okay, it's um, the opening of chapter twenty-one. Uh, so page two forty-three in the at least on the hardcover that I think is still the only edition available. I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. But, um, beginning of chapter twenty-one uh, in kind of summarizing like the uh, smaller narrative arcs that have made up this memoir so far. Um, uh, Yancey writes, nature, music, and romantic love have formed a ladder of ascent from my emotional and spiritual flatlands. Uh, But ascent to where? On my walks in the woods, I have the occasional sensation of being watched, the skin-prickling possibility that something unseen, a bear, a cougar, might be out there stalking me. While playing the piano in the darkened chapel, now and then I feel a rush of transcendent beauty. Uh, with Janet, I experience the flutter of romance and my first real taste of joy. Uh, and I think that, you know, and this, again, is a, is kind of a summary of the preceding sections, um, where he talks about first nature, then music, then romantic love. Um, uh being things that, like, started to break through this sort of, sort of shell of a uh, uh, disconnection that he has, has, I guess, formed as a survival tactic. Um, and Mm-mm. you get the real sense in this paragraph, um, it's almost like there's a hidden image there, and it's the image of, like, walking in the woods, which is, again, something that has already come up multiple times, uh, sure. but walking in the woods and seeing, you know, being in mm-hmm. shadow most of the time and then periodically just like the sun breaking through, um, uh, the clouds and, you know, right. in this sort of extended metaphor, the sun is nature, music, and romantic love. Um, and then he has this sort of, a. Uh, I hesitate to call it a conversion experience because that term is very loaded in the history of American Christianity and evangelicalism. Sure. Maybe he uses it. Although even... he does, he does later say it uh, on page two
0: forty-eight. He says, "I date my conversion from that event." Right. So, conversion,
1: like... conversion. I'm not. I don't have a problem with, but there's okay a loaded nature to the term conversion experience. Um, gotcha. That has to do with like all of the extremely subjective and I would argue theologically problematic strains in American Christianity. Um, right. So it's like I'm using the term conversion experience, but I don't mean conversion experience. I mean he had a conversion and it was an experience. Um, There's an experience that had a conversion. Yeah. Within it. Um, right. And so that becomes like the next point where the light fell. And it feels to me like yep. an extended metaphor that, unless I've missed it, which is very possible, uh, that Yancy never names. He never said He never gives you as much as he relies a lot on um, images and like thought experiments and and um, uh, analogies and metaphors. Like he never gives you the overarching image of like it's as if I was walking through a forest. The the thing I just sort of said. Uh-huh. But it's like it's there, like he gives you all the pieces of it and you're right. Maybe uh there to um sort of build it back out. The only the only thing that it that um the only other thing I guess that I ha- that I think about it is like it feels like something that was maybe there in an earlier draft when if he was the type of writer mm. to for a six hundred page book, write a nine hundred page draft, and I don't know that he is. Um, uh, he is, he said it explicitly, okay, uh, in the author's
0: notes, um, towards the end, um, so some colleagues and friends plowed through the 240,000 words in our early draft before I winnowed
1: it, winnowed it down to 100,000. Okay. Yeah. So that's a real memory that I had and not just, a. a yep. <laughs> uh, you know, cause there, there are a lot of authors who work that way. Um, I personally, in my own writing, have almost been the opposite, where I'll write too little and then have to expand it, but Mm. um, I know a lot of authors work the way that he does. Uh, Now I forgot the point I was making. Oh, it almost feels like maybe... Making it explicit. Yeah, in that 240,000-word version, maybe where the light fell was much more explicit of a metaphor, and maybe it was... Right. One or the other of the, the sort of two main ones that I have suggested. Um, my suggestions, obviously, being pure speculation but um, or something similar. Uh, and that it just, like, got taken out to the point where uh, the title is much more interpretive. Um, mm. That would be mm-hmm. somewhere in there in that set of three to nine different things that I've just said uh, would be my best guess. I I I
0: agree with um 7 eighths of the 3 to 9 things <laughs> that you suggested. So um keeping <laughs> the math simple as usual, well, I like it. Yes, of course. Um but no, so like I I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that chapter 21 because um it's you know contact and there on page 245 um where he um like he 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 puts it very passively that he basically received this reinterpretation of the parable of the Good Samaritan Mm -hmm. um, and shifted, again, all of the the characters. And so, like, for... Taking this idea of where the light fell as revealing something, mm-hmm. um, bringing something out of the darkness into the light. Where the light fell is where things change for mm-hmm. him. So here uh, he even says the parable comes to me in a new light, sure. um, which, of course, is a very common term turn of phrase. But, you know, if you've got this this book that's called Where the Light Fell, you got to pay attention to where those those right. key words it almost are. It seems like him giving um, it away
1: at a certain point.
0: A little bit, but I, I'm not willing to say necessarily that, oh, this is it. This is where the light right. fell. But I think it's certainly part of it. Um, and I, I think uh, having that um, event of the secret being exposed, the light fell onto that secret, right? So the, that uh, that was exposed, and so like the, uh, the this tectonic plates idea in my brain um, that, The the light fell there, so everything had to shift. Everything had to move. Um, And so he's reinterpreting everything and going back and seeing this progress. And it's almost like he's discovering this story of where the light Mm -hmm. fell um, all the way through kind of up until that contact. But then, uh, you know, in a novel sort of thing, we would have the denouement immediately following that but we don't um instead it uh it continues and he continues having more discoveries and the the relationship with his brother again uh continues there and with his mother as well um so there's there's more to be done and we don't get the resolution because it's not a novel um instead we see that okay things continue to shift we look for where the light falls and then we we shift uh along with that um and and simply basically receive where where
1: that light right. falls also i do want to point out in my pretend thesis um or my imaginary thesis uh, narratives and and shifting narratives in where the light fell that that narrative becomes so central to to the shift to the mm. end that you know it, it just kind of hammers home that idea and that point yeah um good uh but yeah yeah also that just that idea of um the light fell on this story or on this this narrative um yeah i think that mm-hmm. may also be you know part of in again my theoretical narrative my completely speculative narrative about him having mm-hmm. the imagery of where the light fall much more the light fell much more explicitly in the early drafts and then um excising it somewhat that may be part of the wisdom of that theoretical exercise in the sense that like there are a lot of places where the light fell and and to Mm -hmm. maybe even to try to reduce it to one instance or one um through line might do a disservice to uh the entirety Mm -hmm. sure
0: Sure. And it it almost has kind of an accidental flavor to it rather than an author's deliberate Mm -hmm. choice. Like with this book, I'm writing about where the light fell, you know, Um, like with a set of dice where the dice fell. You know, it's uh, this 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 is this is what I'm writing about. You know, this this event at this point and then this event at this point, this is where the light fell um, at each each point along the way. Um, Yeah interesting well let's let's stop talking oh, that will um, never happen because we've been talking <laughs> for about an hour here <laughs> um oh, okay good um and we'll uh we'll get back to this book for for one more episode um following up here um so far no punishments are needed i don't think anybody has broken a rule yet um so uh you got one more chance ethan uh, to take one for the team um, and uh, next time we will also write the book and the scotch uh, that we've been drinking here so uh, in the meantime uh, you can feel free to contact us in the tapestryradio.org uh, contact section uh, if you put scotch talk in the subject line that'll filter out uh, all the many uh, millions of emails that we receive so that we we know who to uh, who to respond to uh you can find us on uh in that uh, that graveyard of twitter uh at room with scotch uh or on uh facebook uh i'm trying to think of an appropriate metaphor for that one since i t- called twitter <laughs> a graveyard uh retirement home no 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 that's that's um, perfect you did it You did <laughs> exactly right good uh in the uh, tapestry radio tap house if you request to join that group we will let you in there um we also do homework uh if you submit your english homework to us we will do it but not well just in a way that you can submit to your teachers and get hauled off to plagiarism jail for submitting uh if you go to tapestry scotchcast uh, and we can turn that into a special episode uh doing your homework Uh, Otherwise, if you like this show, you can find our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, such as Intermission, our backstage drama podcast, Us Play Fiasco, the actual play RPG fiasco podcast. Uh, Freddie goes to a podcast where three grown men talk about a children's book series from 100 years ago. Uh, Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play RPG Podcast. And Shakespeare in the Village, the uh, account of the productions of Shakespeare in the Village in Albert Lee, Minnesota, uh, along with many other um, Shakespeare-adjacent discussions. Uh, Ethan, where can um, they find you?
1: A- a- email Tapestry? That's That's about it at this point. Yeah. I don't really... Eh, want yeah. to deal with anything else? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yep,
0: same here. Uh, so until next time, just remember it's our party, and we'll cry if the light falls on or us. If it does,
1: doesn't, no. But if it does, or, or if I it mean, doesn't. I cried at this book, so probably your first thing. Yeah. Well, there
0: you go. So, yeah, we'll cry then. <laughs>